I'm going to begin by asking you a question. It's a very simple question. Um, maybe it's not a very Presbyterian question, but it's a very simple question. Do you want to bear fruit? Do you want to show forth the image of the Lord Jesus upon this world? Do you want to do good works? Do you want the Father to look down and say, this one, this one, and this one is a fruitful tree? I look down from heaven and this one is pleasing in my eyes. Because he is bearing good fruit. He is bearing that fruit again because the Son bore good fruit. And you are in the Son. And as you abide in the Lord Jesus, you partake of his works. You too bear good fruit unto God. Because this is what the Lord Jesus is teaching his disciples here. This is his concern that they take away. There are seven statements. I'm sure you all know this. There are seven I am statements. Actually, technically there are 14. But there are seven I am statements. There's seven times he just says, I am. But there are seven statements. And this is the last one. Having gone through all of them, as he's about to depart, he's instructing his disciples so that they can continue to bear good fruit unto the Father. He has borne good fruit unto the Father. He has honored his father. He has done what is pleasing in his father's sight. And now he wants his disciples to carry on that work. To carry on bearing good fruit. So this is the great, this is the great thing. And, and he does it in this particular way. He says, abide in me. Abide in me. He said, I am the door. He said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the light of the world. He said, I am the good shepherd. And now he says, I am the vine. And if you abide in me, in union with me, you will grow and abound. I'll give you a quote from J.C. Ryle. He says, the union between the branch and the vine and the main stem is the closest that can be conceived. Think for a moment of that. It's the whole secret of the branch's life, strength, vigor, beauty, and fertility. Separated from the parent's stem, and it has no life of its own. The sap and the juice that flows from the stem are the origin and the maintaining power of all of its leaves, its buds, its blossoms, and its fruit. Cut off from the stem, it will soon wither and it will die. The union between Christ and the believer is just as close and just as real. In themselves, a believer has no life, no strength or spiritual power. Everything they have of true religion comes from Christ. They are what they are. They feel what they feel. They do what they do. Because they are drawing on the Lord Jesus Christ and and His command to draw on Him, His supply of grace. And joined, they can continue to run the Christian race. So we, this is a command. The Lord Jesus is really giving us a command here. It's a conscious effort. He's saying there is a need to abide. Not, not just once, not just when we're converted, 
But as we continue in the Christian life, continue to abide. And this is then linked to, if we abide, it's linked to fruit bearing. Because Christians, of all the people in the world, Christians are fruit bearers. They bear fruit unto God. And that is pleasing in God's sight. And as we actually went through this passage, and there's a warning here. If if we are those who, who think we are in Christ and we're not, then we're not bearing fruit. And what do you do with a tree that doesn't bear fruit? You cut it down. And so there's a warning here too. You cut it off as a branch that is dead, for it is good for nothing. So Jesus says here, and he begins by saying, I am the true vine. Now what does he mean by the word true? Well, he's not opposing, he's not saying, I am a true, there are many false vines. There are false vines. There are false people who will offer you all sorts of things. That's not what Jesus is aiming for here. He says, I am the true, I am the fulfillment of everything that the Old Testament looked forward to. I am the true vine. So think back in the Old Testament, where do you think of vineyards in the Old Testament and the hope of a vineyard? You go back to a a number of places. Uh, Isaiah, so that's my English background coming out, my English South African background. Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Let me read this to you from the Old Testament. Let me sing for my beloved my song concerning my vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard in a very fertile hill. He dug it. He cleaned it of stones. He planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out a vine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done when I looked for it to yield grapes? Why did it yield wild grapes? Then he says this, verse 5, And now I will tell you what I will do with my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its walls and it shall be trampled down. Now this is a picture of Israel in the Old Testament. It's a picture of Israel under judgment. It's a picture of Israel when Israel had been planted by the Lord, but they had not borne the fruit that they were to bear. And so God warns Israel, he will judge them. He will judge them. They had not borne fruit. Now, we get the same idea or the same image in Psalm 80. I'm going to go through this from verse 9, which is the second big psalm. The psalm also warns that God will plant Israel as a vineyard, and it is to bear fruit. And then it says they will not bear fruit, but then he comes up with a remedy. So verse 9, the vineyard, it took deep root. It filled the land. The mighty, the mountains were covered with its shade. The mighty cedars, its branches. He sent out its branches to the sea and it shoots to the river. And then it comes this. Then the word of the Lord comes, verse 12. Why then have you broken down its walls? So that all who pass by pluck its fruit. The boar from the forest ravages it. And all that moves in the field 
feed on it. And this is a sign of judgment. And so the psalmist in verse 14, he cries out and he says, Turn again, O Lord of hosts, look down from heaven and see, have regard for this vine. Remember the vine of Israel, the stock that your right hand planted. And then he says this, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burnt it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. And then he continues. He said, but let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man, whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we will not turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You see the switch that happened there? It's all about the vineyard and how the vineyard is being judged and how the vineyard is being brought low. And all of a sudden, one is the son who God makes strong. And then he's called the hand, the man at your right hand, the son of man will come. And in this one, there will be deliverance. And what Jesus is saying when he said, I am the true vine, he said, I'm that one. I'm the one that was foretold. Israel didn't bear the fruit. Israel came under judgment, but I will and I have borne good fruit unto God. And the word comes to Israel. This one is the strong man. And in him, if you will abide in him, then you too can bear good fruit. And it comes to the Gentiles. Don't attach yourself to Israel any longer. Attach yourself to the one who is from Israel, who is the Israel of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Attach yourself to him, because in him you can have life. In him you can come under the Father's care, just like Israel did. In him you can bear fruit. In him that fruit is pleasing to God. In him... You can do the good works which please the Father. So when our Lord Jesus says, I am the true vine, it's that contrast between Israel, who had not fulfilled those promises in the flesh and without the Spirit and without the power of the Son. They had not done it, but he does. I am that true vine. Attach yourself, he's saying, to me, and you will bear fruit. Now, this is a unique part of Scripture. And if you read through the section, and I I did, I'm going to read through it again just to try and count how many times he talks about abiding in him and bearing fruit. This is incredibly concentrated, right? I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you. Unless the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it that bears much fruit for apart from me. You can do nothing. If you do not abide in me, he is thrown away and taken like a branch, and it withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire. But if you abide in me, verse 7, my word abides in you. Ask whatever 
you wish. And so this incredibly heavy concentration, as Jesus is, is leaving his earthly life, as he's instructing his disciples, what does he want them to do? Abide. Abide. Think about it. Abide. What, what is Christianity? What is central to Christian life? Absolutely central. To abide in him. To have that living relationship with the Lord Jesus, that Son, the one that the Father has set up to, to be the source of life in the vineyard. It's not in the creeds, it's not in the confessions, which are good in themselves. It's not in the fellowship. It's not in any of those things. All things which are good in themselves. But it is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. True spiritual life is found there. And that is the point of fruit bearing. So if somebody was to come and to ask you, how would you summarize Christianity? How would you summarize Christianity? I hope somewhere is it's a living relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's a living, ongoing relationship. But not only that... Our Lord makes it a conscious sense of dependence, right? It's a command. He says, abide. And he says, particularly, in my word. What is it to abide in the Lord Jesus? Our Lord is in heaven. Let's abide in my word. Verse 3, you are clean because my word is in you. It's the word of God. It's the word that binds them. It's Jesus' words, which are spirit and life. And power, right? Jesus' words, the words that came out of his mouth, are, are life and power. Think, he speaks and the heavens are made. He speaks and, and, and the dead rise. He speaks and the, the sick are healed. He speaks and men and women are instructed at how they can please the Father. How they can be like him to please the Father. So his commandments are life and power. See, our Lord Jesus himself showed his great love by obeying his Father. And then he says, if you follow me and follow my words, and if you take my words, if you rest and receive in those words, you will be walking in the same track as me. You will please the Father as well. And we know, don't we, that the dangers, don't we, when we look and, and we think, well, I need to obey the law, and we focus on that law, and brethren, it's right, I'm not denigrating the law, but if it's a law without the power of Christ, it will not save. It's outside of you. It cannot save. And our religion is a religion of power. It, it is a religion of power, isn't it? You need strength. I was here five years ago. I didn't have as less gray hair than I have now. That is a sign of what? It is a sign of losing strength. It is, isn't it? it? We don't want to say it, but it is. I need strength. I don't have the power of the resurrection in myself. I don't have the strength to overcome the devil. I need strength. We have a religion of power. We have a religion of a Savior who died and was strong enough to to conquer, rest in the grave, and rise again. I am the vine. You are the branches. Where will you find life? 
You find life in the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. And then we are to bear fruit. We are to bear fruit. You know, God himself is fruitful. It's his nature. It's his character. Go back to those early verses in the book of Genesis. How often? Be fruitful, multiply. And he made them, and he made it with abundance, and he made it with fruitfulness. God is fruitful. It's his nature. That's what he delights in. And what does he say of Israel? Israel, I want you to bear fruit. I want you to be a fruitful vine. I want you to show forth my name, my glory, my works in this world. And that is fruitfulness. And of course they failed as we've seen. But then he looks down upon his son and says, This one has done all my good works. He has been fruitful. And the father looks down with that particular pleasure as Jesus is fruitful to God, bringing honor to his name. Fruitfulness. God loves fruitfulness. He loves to see it. Let me give you a a quote from A.W. Pink. He says, thousands of Christians are complaining of their barrenness, but they fail to trace their barrenness to its right source, their meagerness of their communion with Christ. Consequently, they seek fruitfulness in activities, often right in themselves, but which, while he is unrecognized, can never yield any fruit. In such condition, they ought rather to cry, our leanness, our leanness. And they ought to know that leanness can only be remedied by abiding in Christ. Our Lord seeks us, he saves us, he sets us apart. That his son might be the first image, and we might image the son. And so we bring glory to the son. As we image the son, as we show the son, as we bear fruit, like the sun bore fruit, we bring honor and glory to the son. Even as the son brought honor and glory to the father. And our fruit endures. And that fruitfulness lasts. And the fruitfulness brings joy and peace. Now our Lord, but solemnly, he puts two alternatives before us in this text. Either we abide in him and we bear fruit, or we don't bear fruit and we are cut off. We are cut off. And if we're cut off, what happens, and there's a series of stages here, cut off, thrown away, and burnt. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch. Now once I've, once I've cut, once you're not abiding, you're not drawing, once you've separated, then you do what? That branch withers and slowly it dies. And then eventually what's it worth? It's not worth anything. I was in Africa. I, I love being out there. Uh, and I love preaching and teaching there because it's all so graphic. And so I just walked out from the, it wasn't really much of a pulpit anyway. So I walked out and grabbed a plant which was trying to grow on the side and snapped a bit off and said, how long is this going to last? How long is it going to last? It, it still sort of looks alive right now, doesn't it? 
But it's not going to take long before the lack of sap, before the lack of moisture means that it's going to drop. We had a beautiful big cherry tree in our house in England. And it um, it was obscuring the neighbor's light. All the houses are built really close together. And the uh, the neighbor said, oh, we have a guy who cuts down trees. We'll, we'll use him and we'll bring him. And he came down and he cut this tree. And we thought, he's cutting this a bit hard. And he cut it too hard. And the tree died. Now, we have logs in the backyard. What are they good for? Well, we, we used them to burn in the fire. All right. That's all the tree was good for at that point. And of course, that's an image for us, isn't it? It's an image. The, the dead branches, they're thrown out. They die. Even as men will be gathered on the last day, where is your fruit? How did you bear fruit unto me? And the word will come back, we didn't. He said, well, you are not good for anything. You are not good for anything. And the Lord will take them and into eternal judgment. So the Lord puts before us this very stark contrast. The blessings of life freely offered, freely given in the Lord Jesus. And those who then choose not to abide in him, not to listen to his word, not to rest and to receive it. And they miss on fruitfulness, they miss on joy, they miss a little bit further in the text on answered prayer. Because they're not listening to the Lord Jesus. They're not receiving His Word. They're not seeing what delights the Lord Jesus. And so when they pray, as James said, they pray amiss. Because they're not praying for the Lord's glory. They're not praying for the things of heaven, which are for His glory and for our good. But they're praying for other things. And so they pray amiss. And their prayers are not heard. Now, we've been focusing on on the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's right that we do. But of course, this verse, when it starts back in verse 1, says, I am the true vine. And then it goes on and he says, and my father is the vine dresser. My father is the vine dresser. He, he is the one who cares for and tends over in a unique way. We see this wonderful interplay here between the Lord Jesus Christ and His work and the Father's work in Israel. And so think about the work of the Father. He was the one who called Israel. He separated Israel. He ordained that she would be brought out of Egypt. He ordained that she would be planted in her own land. He ordained that she should have temples, the temple, the priests, the prophets and kings. He gave her the law, the adoption, the covenants. These are all the gifts that the Father gives. When she went astray, he sent more prophets. And then finally he would send his son. This is the care of the Father. And in the same way, as I look at each one of you, the Father has separated you, he's known you, he's called you, he's separated you, he's placed you here. In him we live and move and have our being, and he's put the boundary of our habitation. And it's all around us. And then he says, draw life to do the things that I want from my son. Right? That's the 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 order. And he provides Christ for us as the great fountain for the forgiveness of sins and the great sap 
for the blessing of his people. What a wonderful picture this is of Father and Son. And if we go on a little bit further in John's Gospel, we'll get to Spirit, right? We'll get to the work of the Spirit. So John, John 14 is, 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 is mainly about the Father. John 15 is, is mainly about the Son. And, and John 16 is mainly about the Spirit. As all three members of the Trinity are there, with their love and their care and their power to bless you. What a wonder it is that the Father has ordained that the way that he will take care of you is in the Lord Jesus. And he puts him before you as this sweet-smelling offering and aroma. He says, look at him. Listen to my son. Follow my son. And in him you will find life. And he he knows his sheep. He knows the strong ones. He knows the weak ones. And he he protects them particularly. He knows our situation. He has placed you in your situation. Not just that he knows your situation. He has placed you in your situation. He has given you access to Christ. That even in the rockiest places, even in the most difficult places, even in the lack of rain we have in Houston places, and and in Texas generally places, You can flourish. You can grow because Christ is there. And he's given you Christ. And he's thinking ahead. He's not caught. Again, another illustration from England. This is a few years ago. My mother's got older older now and she, she can't do it. But the English love their gardens. It's not as hot outside. All right, so you can spend time outside and you can look after your gardens. And, and I remember it would be maybe November, December time, and she's sitting there and she's got plans laid out. What's she doing? She's planning which plant will be where, when it will flower, and how long it will flower for, and then what will follow in that location. And what will happen next to it? This is a, this is a well thought out living, a living painting. And I could, I know sometimes I'd fly in and I'd see the garden and there would be this mass of beautifully organized but different colors and different plants and different things flowering at different times. And then I'd fly back and I'd maybe come in two or three months later and it would still be in a different way as it sort of moved and grew and evolved. And it was always so pleasant to walk outside and see. Now, if my mother can do this, the father does far more than this. And, and he's doing it with his wisdom and his power and his grace. Just, just imagine that beautiful garden, the good works that God has prepared beforehand that you might walk in them. Now, part of that, brethren, though, is pruning. And he mentions this here. There are times when you need to cut back. It's not always the beautiful flower. My mother would plan in the winter time for what she wanted to happen in the summer. The Lord is preparing us now for what we will be when we see him face to face. But there's a period, isn't there? There's a period where there is pruning. There is is a cutting back. In the winter, there is a cutting back in those hard winter months when, when you take away the dead branches 
And you say, these, these are not going to bloom. This is an area which is not going to be pleasing in my sight later. So I, I'm going to cut them back. And our Father does this. No branch is allowed to run to waste. He will put, from time to time, the Lord will say, I'm going to cut this back. I'm going to take the knife, I'm going to cut it back, so that later it can bear the fruit. And he's watching over us. And it's hard sometimes to endure, isn't it? It's hard. Some of us are really, really good at being active and and going out there and getting things done. And then there's a time when God says, no, 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 now you just have to sit and wait. I'm going to cut you back. I'm going to prune you back. I'm going to prune your activities back. I'm going to prune the things that you think are life back. And I'm going to do this so that later, afterwards, you bear fruit. Later, afterwards, it bears the peaceable fruits of righteousness. J.C. Ryle talks about enduring and having God taking our passive graces. Those graces where we have to learn to wait through the winter. God says, I'm coming. I'm coming, but it's winter time now. I'm coming. Wait. Endure as he weans us from the world. And then where do we find that life? And and where when we're not fruitful or we feel like we're not fruitful, doesn't it draw us to Christ? It draws us to the word. It draws us to prayer. So that later afterwards it can do the peaceable fruits of righteousness. And brethren, I know there are that, 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 Painful cutting, and it can be very, very difficult. But what's he doing? Imagine that plant. This leaf isn't going to bear anymore. He knows that this leaf isn't going to bear, and he takes it, and he cuts it. Maybe it's an area of sin. Maybe it's an area of sin which we've allowed to grow up, and we've not restrained it. And there's a sinful part of our life that has come up. And the Lord says, I, I see it. I know it. I'm a faithful vine dresser. I'm not unfaithful. If I was unfaithful, I'd just let you grow and you'd be a wild vine and you would be no good to anybody. But I'm a faithful man. And I'm a faithful father. And so I cut it off. And it hurts, doesn't it? It hurts. Maybe it's a a lawful area, not necessarily a sinful area, but it's a lawful area. And the Lord looks down and says, if I leave you going in this direction, if this branch continues to grow out here, it's not going to be fruitful. And so I'm going to cut that back, that that tree might grow in a different direction. You know, you cut one thing down and it grows in another direction. That's what he's doing, right? He's cutting one bit back, and 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 because we don't know how to allocate the time and the energy. Just think of a plant out there, and, and just think how it grows, and it grows in every direction. We don't know how to allocate sometimes our time. We don't know how to allocate our energy. We don't know how to allocate our resources. And so the Lord comes alongside, and He says, "I'm going to cut this." And I'm going to cut this back. 
right? And in our walk and in our areas, He will cut those back so that they can be fruitful later. And we cry out, don't we, Lord, this is so hard, you are killing me. You are killing me. And he says, no, I'm not killing you. I'm pruning you so that the garden can be proper. I'm making you more useful, not less useful. As hard as it may seem, as difficult as it may seem, I am preparing you that later you can bear more fruit. You can bear more fruit. And there's a proper allocation, right? There's a proper allocation. And so eventually it turns into one of those beautiful shaped gardens, which is a delight to look at. And you look out there and you see the shapes and you see the way they're cut and you see the ingenuity and the wisdom. Living art, right? Not dead art. We can do dead art. We don't do living art. God does living art. And he does it so that you can see what's capable of what he's actually doing in our lives. We do it for our pleasure. He does it for our good. Now I'm going to leave you with three examples. Three examples which I think we can meditate on, which sort of summarize this whole passage. Can you think of a person in Scripture who was ready to go, always seemed ready to go, and yet needed to be pruned and to be cut back so that he would be more fruitful. I'm sure if you think about it, it won't take you very long. There are a number of illustrations, but I'm thinking of Peter. There is Peter. He's always ready to go. He'll jump and he'll walk on the water. He'll run to and and be the first one there. Self-reliant, self-confident, Peter, and you love him for it. You love the way that he shows his love and his and his determination. And yet underneath there is self-reliance and underneath there is some pride. And the Lord warns him, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. Not that you wouldn't be cut back, but that afterwards you would join and bless your brethren. Because he knows that Peter is about to be sifted. He's about to be cut back. And he doesn't pray. He's not abiding in Jesus. He's not listening to Jesus' words. Right? The Lord has said, pray. This is the hour of darkness. He's not praying. He's not thinking. And he's cut back and he falls. He's being pruned. It's a terrible pruning, isn't it? Afterwards, the peaceable fruits of righteousness are manifest. And he's Peter. And he's the, he's, he's that confession and that person who is that great blessing to the church. Now, next question. Can you think of somebody who was not abiding and was cut off and wasn't recovered? Judas. Judas seems to be abiding, doesn't he? He seems, he's with Peter, he's running with Peter, he's part of the same group. But ultimately, he's not abiding in the Lord Jesus Christ. His focus is on the money, his focus is on this world, his focus is on the things of this world. And so he's with the disciples, but he's not abiding. And of course, ultimately, these things come to, to fruition. Ultimately, you see the fruit, right? A good tree brings forth good fruit. But a bad fruit ultimately brings forth 
bad fruit. And so when you see the actions, it's not a sudden thing. When you see he's a thief, he's a liar, he's part of the twelve, Jesus chose him, and he says, one of you is a devil. And, and, and slowly over time, and when the fruit has matured, Satan says, I'll sell this man to you for 30 pieces of silver. He's been stealing all the way along, and that's had more and more of a hold. It says, Satan entered him, and he sells the Lord Jesus for 30 people. There is no fruit there. And what is the end? What is the end? He goes out, and he hangs himself. And the Lord Jesus says, he goes to his own place. The judgment comes. He has not born fruit. And ultimately, the fruit is manifest. But now I've got one last person to ask you about. Who is the most fruitful and who is the most pruned person in Scripture? Who do you think is the most fruitful and who is also the most pruned person in in Scripture? The Lord Jesus Christ. Right? The, The Lord Jesus Christ. Right? He was the most fruitful as he walked. He did all the Father. He learned obedience, it says. He, he, he learned obedience in the things that he was led through. It wasn't that he was disobedient and then he became obedient. But as he goes through his life, the Father is training him as a son. And as he goes through his life, he's learning more and more about what it means to be an obedient son in a wicked world so that he can be your high priest. And he understands the struggle and he understands and he can sympathize with your weakness because he himself went through that experience. He's been trained by the Father because the Father loves you and will give you a high priest who knows you, who understands you, and can sympathize with your weakness. What a wonderful thing it is. He learned and he grew. And if the Lord Jesus needs that sort of pruning... We're no different, right? There's no exception. If the Lord, who is righteous and holy, is being grown to be the man of God, who stands with his head held high, who has overcome, who can say, I've done all your will. I have fought your battles. I stand here as the faithful messenger of the covenant. That's the one, right? That's the one that we look to. And if that's true of him, and he's bringing many sons to glory, well, we're following in that train, aren't we? We're following in that way. And of course, he's also pruned the hardest, isn't he? He's pruned in his life as he goes forth. He enters the wilderness to do battle with Satan. And what happens there? His life is being cut away. Forty days without food. Forty days without drink. And then the battle starts with Satan when he's weak. And he could have said, you're killing me. You said I was your son. And now you've led me into the wilderness to die. Well, that was what Israel said, didn't they? But he doesn't. But he doesn't. He's pruned and he understands that. But of course, and he continues. And in his death, he's pruned even harder. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground 
it dies. It remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. So the Lord who is cut back even to the place of death. Why when you're pruning does God not say, I'm going to prune you to death? Because Christ was pruned unto death. He was cut back so hard, he was taken from the land of the living. The wrath and judgment of God fell on him that it might not fall on you. That's how hard he was pruned, right? That's the faithful one that the Father has given to you. I am the vine dresser. I am the true vine, says the Lord Jesus. And I will give up my life unto death so that you can live. That's the wonder of it, right? Here he is. He bears his deepest pruning so that you can bear fruit. And as we then bear fruit, as we abide in the Lord Jesus, and the Father looks down, he says, this one I put down. This one is my king. This is my captive. This is the true vine who will even give his life for his people. And as my people come to him, he becomes the source of their life, the source of their hope, the source of their joy. And they bear great fruitfulness and God looks down, he looks down at his people's fruitfulness, and he rejoices at his people's fruitfulness, and he looks down at the fact that his son is the source of their fruitfulness, and he rejoices in that too. What a wonderful picture we have. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Let's pray.